0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit korin.com.
2: I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the latest episode of Meat and 3, Our weekly food news roundup. We're counting down the days to the 4th of July, so this week's theme is independence. After all, we're an independent food radio station. HRN is a labor of love. Staff, hosts, and listeners all share the belief that storytelling can change the world one bite or sound bite at a time. We take a moment to ponder our founding mothers and fathers, specifically what they were drinking during the Revolutionary War. Rum in various combinations with beer and cider would be the order of the day. We highlight a story of self-sufficiency on the island of Vieques, Puerto Rico. The biggest
1: thing we did was to start a lot of fermented vegetables because we knew the first thing to go would be
2: refrigerator trucks coming to the island. And we examine the challenges facing independent grocery stores across the U.S. The struggle is real, but the future looks bright. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3... Available at heritageradionetwork.org and wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host Akiko a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting cast- live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what, what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Phil Rosenthal, who is the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, which is the winner of 15 Emmy Awards. Now, Phil takes us to the most fascinating food destinations through the fantastic food travel shows called I'll Have What Phil's Having and uh, oh, actually it received a broadcast media award from James Beard Foundation and the new show Somebody Feel Phil and he visited Tokyo on one of the episodes and I was fascinated by his insight into the Japanese food culture so today we'll discuss how Phil started the shows what he discovered in Japan and what is in common between a sitcom and a food travel show and much much more but uh, quickly before we start uh, I have a couple announcements First, I'll be uh, moderating a fun discussion about miso at MoFat, the Museum of Food and Drink in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, on Thursday, July 12th from 6 30 to 8 30. The title of the event is A Multitudes of Miso, an evening with Besso," And Michael Kyogoku and Executive Chef Emily Yuan Beso, a charming Japanese restaurant in Noho, will discuss the beauty of the Japanese Superfood Miso, how it is made, and how they use it at home and at the restaurant. The event includes a cooking demonstration and tasting. And tickets are available at mofad.org slash events, that is slash events. And finally, the 22nd Sumo Stew is coming to New York on Tuesday, July 17th from 6 to 9 p.m. at Arrogant Swine in Brooklyn. As you may know, Sumo Stew is a seasonal live streaming event of Sumo Matches straight from Japan, and you can enjoy Japanese food from outstanding restaurants as you watch the matches. So it's going to be the biggest sumo stew ever. And the venue is outdoor for the summery weather. And this round of sumo stew will feature North Carolina barbecue style whole hog chanko nabe in collaboration with uh, Tyson Ho of Arrogant Swine. Tickets are available at sumostew.com. And that is S U M O S T U S E T U W dot com. And for Japanese listeners, there is a $10 off discount code that's Japan needs one word, Japan needs. So now let's start a conversation with Phil Rosenthal. Hello, oh, hey. welcome.
4: <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here.
3: So, um, so you're originally from Queens, in New York. Yes. Welcome back from LA. I love it. So, uh, So, what did you eat when you grew up in Queens?
4: Not very much. <laughs> not very much. My mother is a wonderful person. If you've seen the show, you see her, you see my father. But cooking was not her strong suit. Mm. She she worked. My father worked. Uh, and so we didn't have a lot of time or money to mm. make good things. So, for instance, any meat was going to be very uh, inexpensive, and it was always gray and tough to chew. <laughs> I used to say meat, meat in our house was a punishment.
3: Oh, no. Yes,
4: that's what it felt like. And we didn't get a lot of fresh vegetables, and we didn't get, you know, the idea of having Japanese food was completely not even a possibility. Mm. Really? Wow. N- I mean, nothing. No ethnic food of any kind. They came from Eastern Europe, and that was the kind of ethnic foods that we had. Mm. Uh The only thing I would say my mother did very well was her matzo ball soup, Mm. which I feature in the New York episode, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to just make fun of her cooking. I do exaggerate a little bit, uh, because I get a lot of material out of it. (laughs) (laughs) But this she makes very well
3: mm, that's what also love love is there so that's right <laughs>
5: that's right
3: right and uh, so you became a famous as writer and the producer of the super successful American <laughs> sitcom TV series of course everybody loves Raymond uh, which won a total of 210 episodes over nine years yes so why uh, what do you think was the key to become so successful as a writer and the producer of a sitcom
4: That's a good question. I guess if I boil it down, first of all, you have to be funny, I think. Mm. Otherwise, you don't have a chance. But (laughs) funny is subjective. Do they have it in Japan?
3: Um, I'm not sure.
4: We're in many, many countries around the world. Some countries have even taken the show and translated it into their language with their own actors. Mm. I made a documentary about this very thing when i went to russia
5: mm. to help
4: them translate the show right. and cast their own people it's called exporting raymond mm. and it's quite a cultural exchange program mm. uh that's on netflix as well if you want to see it
3: right but well I, I heard that, that the, there's no concept of sitcom in russia when you brought the
4: exactly right
3: screen <laughs> that's right
4: it the form didn't exist there mm. until the nanny Right. which was a little before us. Mm. And then they Sony Pictures asked me if I would like to go and do my show there. And I said, yeah, if we can make it a documentary. Because mm. that's interesting to me.
5: Right.
4: And it turned out well. And and uh, to answer your first question about why I think Raymond was successful, I, I, I chalk it up to one thing, relatability. Mm. Because we n- didn't do anything topical. There were no political jokes. There were no... Jokes about the celebrities of the day mm. and so you don't date the show you you keep you want to be timeless, not timely mm. right right so maybe that's why around the world it's still on mm. because we didn't do anything to date ourselves
3: right I actually watched the YouTube and uh, yes. the episodes, and uh, it's like regardless of uh, what nationality <laughs> or what age group yes you love at the same time.
4: I get letters from Sri Lanka, people saying, that's my mother, (laughs) (laughs) which is impossible because I only knew how to write my mother.
3: Mm. Well, actually, though, when I see your (coughs) parents on your show, which we're going to talk about in a moment, I really thought, oh, that's like exactly my dad. He's going to say that too. Amazing,
4: isn't it? Amazing. How different people can appear to be and how we're all the same.
3: Right. So that's the relatability. That's the essence of sitcom. Yes. Mm. So, um, so now you are a professional traveler, diner, uh, cultural reporter. That's what I think. Oh, and nice. wonderful. I've never
4: been called a cultural reporter. You
3: really are, I think. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so the shows uh, I'll Have What Phil's Having yes. on PBS. Yes. That was the first one. And the news, Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. So how did it all begin for you to become a main character of a food travel show?
4: That's a great question, too. Because I did the uh, documentary... I now was someone in front of the camera, Mm. okay? Now, I studied theater in school, and I always thought as a child that I would uh, be funny on camera Mm. because when you're a child, you don't know that there's writing and producing and directing Mm. yet. You just see the people that make you laugh, and if you're like me, I wanted to just be them. Mm. And so I studied theater, So I could do that. Mm. And while studying theater, I learned about writing, producing, directing, all things that I would do because I didn't have the stomach for trying to be an actor. I was never a serious actor. Mm. I'm probably not a very good actor.
5: Mm. But
4: I loved every aspect of show business, all these other things. Mm. And I found a way to make a living by writing.
5: Mm.
4: And now, because... I did the documentary and I was now in front of the camera as well. People saw that and said they would like to see me go to other places. Mm. And that's when I could tell them about my dream of having a show where I go and try to inspire you to travel by showing you the best places in the world to eat Mm. as a way to get you to travel.
3: Well, I think... um, Well, I'm going to talk about the shows in a moment more deeply, but I think... The reason I think your show is very different is you have the view as a producer, so you can think of the mind and expectation of the audience. I think that's what it
4: is. Maybe a little bit. Uh, You can't turn off that switch once it's been turned on, Mm. right? So there is that. There's the mind of the writer. There's the mind of the comedian. Mm -hmm. And there's the mind, I guess, of the tourist Mm. which is what I really think of myself as when I'm doing <laughs> the show because I'm not a chef, mm. so I have no expertise in cooking.
5: Mm.
4: I'm not a world traveler until you're seeing me in the show. Mm. So I am proudly and decidedly a tourist, which mm. I think most of us are on the planet.
3: Right. Interesting, because I think there's so many food shows and it yes. a little too analytical. Yes, the very kind of fine dining oriented. Yes,
4: and many people are into this and want to learn from Mm. that point of view. And that's valid and great. Mm -hmm. And all the people that came before me, especially Anthony Bourdain, Mm. was a superhero, like a genius in this medium. Reinvented the whole genre. Mm -hmm. The way I sold my show, the way I told them, you know, why they should do a show with me, was I said, I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything.
5: (laughs) Right.
4: (laughs) Which I think most people who would watch his show would say, Mm. he's amazing. I'm never doing that.
3: (laughs) Well, I saw you eating ants.
4: (laughs) I did it. I did it. That was, you know, a tiny step out of my comfort zone
3: Mm. to do
4: that, to eat an ant in Tokyo Mm -hmm. at Den. Have you been to Den?
3: I haven't been, but I know that he's such an amazing person beyond cooking.
4: I love him. Mm. I loved him right away. And it's probably his personality that got me to taste this ant. Mm. So the plate comes, and it's a salad, a beautiful salad that you would be so happy to eat anywhere.
5: Mm.
4: On the plate were two black ants. And the first thing you think, if you're an American like me, is, oh, this they should call an exterminator from the (laughs) restaurant. (laughs) They have a problem. No, they're there on purpose. Are they fake? Are they there for decoration? No, you're supposed to eat. Why would I eat that? Well, it tastes like lemon, he says. Mm. Oh, in that case, can I have some lemon? Mm. <laughs> and he said, try it. And uh Yukari, who was sitting next to me, mm-hmm. she said, You gotta try it. It's really good. And she popped it in her mouth. I'm like, Yukari, no. And she <laughs> she loved it. And so maybe I got a little brave because the cameras were on me. Mm. Maybe that doesn't.
3: You (laughs) You can't chicken out now.
4: So I put this ant in my mouth. It was everything I could do to bite down on it. Mm. And I was like, oh no. And then it was like somebody put a drop of lemon on my tongue. Wow. So now I'm asking the chef, okay, so what did you do? You basted them in lemon so they taste like lemon? He says, no. These ants, not every ant, these particular ants, these specific ants, Mm. from this part of this forest in Japan, these ants taste like lemon. Wow. Yes. Now, does it mean that now I look for ants everywhere? No.
3: Not in Brooklyn. Not in (laughs)
4: Brooklyn. Not. I wouldn't pick up an ant at a picnic and eat it. (laughs) But it was very interesting, the experience, and I'm glad I did it. Mm. Yes.
3: So, do you think your doors are opening to, or, to more kind of interesting culinary world yes. since you started do, doing the show. Yes, mm. they have to,
4: because the more you taste and the more you're rewarded for tasting, mm. like delightfully surprised by mm. things that you didn't expect to be good, mm. the more you want to try.
3: That's interesting, because right? uh, I think, you, you know, I think a majority of us yes. tend to be scared you have yes. trouble like you don't eat something crazy and you don't want to get sick yes, or the, like, of course so you're inviting us join me it's okay you can. i'm
4: afraid naturally <laughs> and i feel like if you watch me go to these places and try these things you mm. say to yourself if that guy can do it i can do it mm. and that's all i'm here for
3: right thank you for doing that <laughs> So, um, is there anything in common between producing a sitcom and a food travel show? Yes,
4: they're both storytelling.
3: Mm.
5: I'm
4: telling a story. I am now combining everything I've learned about making a television show, right? The the producing, writing, editing, even performing. Yes, uh, storytelling with the story. I want to tell that means the most to me Mm. in life. I'm combining all the things I love in life. That is the subject of this show. The subject being family, friends, food, laughing, Mm. travel. All combined with what I know how to make a show. I'd even say that my show is part sitcom. Mm. Because what is a sitcom? It's taking a character... And putting them in situations. Mm. So if I look objectively at myself in the show, I understand my persona. I understand who I am. Mm. And my producers, one of whom is my brother, who knows me very, very well. Richard. Richard <laughs> he understands that if he puts me with elephants, it's going to be funny and unusual mm-hmm. for me. And so that now you have a sitcom without trying.
3: Mm. given
4: who i am and my quote unquote character
3: right
4: now this now this same guy let's see if he'll eat an ant <laughs> you know i'm not thinking of that when i'm there i'm really am experiencing it i'm in the moment i'm just there's no acting mm. i'm just being but later in editing i'm watching myself as a, and i have to be objective i have to look at that guy
3: mm. and
4: see oh this makes sense for that guy,
3: right? But uh, I think the difference is you don't have a set cast members, right? So each time you go, you have to create a new kind of exactly members.
4: So the other thing I learned from sitcom is that recurring characters are got, start to uh, produce uh, audience loyalty. Mm-hmm. They like seeing the same characters. So how about my parents? They are the same in every episode. Right. And I Skype with them every episode. Mm. Now, I wouldn't do it if they weren't so funny. <laughs> but they are funny. And they add value to the show. I would even say they're the best part of the show. Mm. Other people tell me that too. Right. It's annoying.
3: <laughs> I, how, how was your conversation, family conversation when you grew up? It must be. Funny.
4: It was either funny or it was yelling. <laughs> Sometimes both.
3: Mm. So yelling over bad food or something like that?
4: Anything, whatever it was. You know, it's, a, it's this kind of, I think, very relatable house where tensions mm-hmm.
0: run high.
4: People have their problems that they bring in to the family, to the home. They don't want to, but the outside world gets in, right? And you mm-hmm. take it out on whoever's available. Right. That's, what, that's so, a family. Mm. And so you work through it. And as long as there's uh, deep love underneath, mm. you get through it.
3: Right. Nice. Okay, so by the way, I really look forward to the segment when your parents appear.
4: You like it. Yeah,
3: I really love that.
4: And look, you relate to it. This is what I've learned. If you're vague, meaning you try to reach everybody Mm. by not being specific, you're going to miss everybody. Because the thing that unites us is identifying with each other's specifics. Mm. So if you have a very specific Japanese way of living at home, and I see you go through a certain ritual... I'm going to relate to it,
5: Mm. not
4: because I have that same ritual, but because you have a ritual. Mm. And I understand my rituals. So I relate just to the specific, the fact that it is a specific for you, Mm. I relate. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. So your parents, you say that my dad is like your dad, even though if you would look at both of them and the way they act, probably doesn't look that way on the surface. Mm. But you understand the thinking. Right, And the mother, who in any language, in any culture, is always going to be the mother.
3: (laughs) That is so true. Is
4: always going to interfere, Mm. is always going to run the house, is always going to be the boss, right? These are universal things. Right. I think.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So, and also, um, you know, you go to very exotic places. And then once you speak to your parents, like, you know, it's almost like you go on vacation, come back. Like, oh this is my point of view and yes. now looking at the, the experiences during this uh, like foreign experience then it's back to your own place yes. so it's kind of a settling like almost absorbing experience with your parents and I it's That's kind right. of taking into your daily life it's gonna sink into who you are so
4: I try to relate to them what I'm going through mm-hmm. and it shows you in in stark contrast, the differences, mm-hmm. but also the similarities mm. of the cultures. Right? right? Uh it's funny, the Skype home is the modern day equivalent of the postcard. Mm. But now we can see each other, and I can show you a mango steam that I'm eating in <laughs> Thailand, right? Right. And they can see it and understand it mm. even or try to understand it. Right. It's funny. You have these experiences. The audience has just seen you experience it. They may even understand it. Now try to explain it to your parents back home who haven't seen it yet.
5: Mm, There's right. something
4: funny about it, but also relatable. We've all been there. Mm. How do you explain something
3: right. to
4: your folks who can't possibly understand what you've just been through mm. or what you're experiencing?
3: Right. So it's the right time for you to do the show. We benefit from all the technologies, yes. and uh, yeah, the connectiv- connectivity. Yes. Yes. Right. And
4: the connection is what the show's really all about.
3: Mm, right. So now you said that, so let's just talk about exotic place, Tokyo. Yes. So you went to Tokyo on uh, one of the episodes and yes. of uh, have what Phil's having. Yes. So, um, well, first of all, why did you choose Tokyo as one of the destinations? Always
4: wanted to go there. Mm-hmm. I love the Japanese culture. Absolutely love it. I love the food. And uh, in New York, it's funny, we were, today, we just happened to be recording another show right across the street from the first place that I ever had sushi in 1981. Wow. Hatsuhana
5: Mm, in Manhattan
4: on 48th Street. They had a dish that I'll never forget. It was little crabs that had been flash fried and were standing on their legs. Mm. They were bright orange. And they were four of them on a black lacquer plate. Mm, Unforgettable. You pop the whole thing in your mouth and they crunch like light popcorn. (laughs) Like this. I never forgot it. Mm. It was the most unusual, exotic, most beautiful thing I ever ate. Mm. That one dish, to me, personified Japanese cuisine, Japanese culture.
5: Mm. My
4: joke is, in Japan, in Tokyo, if you go to the pharmacy... And get a stick of gum. They're going to wrap it for you as if it's for your hundredth birthday. <laughs> <laughs> There's such care mm. and such attention to detail. Mm. And I learned this maybe on my first day in Tokyo. Maybe my second day. My first day, I was bombarded by uh, by the main uh, square uh, Shinjuku. How do you say it? Shin- Shinjuku. Shinjuku. Mm-hmm. The, the crosswalk of oh, that's a Shibuya,
3: the, Shibuya, the biggest Shibuya the cross, market, yeah, Sh- Shibuya, Shibuya crosswalk cross section,
4: yeah. intersection.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: how many how many streets coming together? Six.
3: <laughs> okay. least.
4: crazy, 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 loud, noisy. Mm. You get in the subway, you go, you know, for a half hour on the subway, you get out. There's another one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't end. It seems like chaos to me. Mm. And then when you go and have the meal. And you have this beautiful detail. Mm. Or you go to the hotel and you see the beautiful detail. Or every other block is a beautiful garden. So perfect. Taught me a life lesson, Mm. which was none of us can control the outside. Mm. But what we can control, we make as beautiful and perfect as possible.
5: Interesting. That
4: to me, maybe... This is just my point of view being an American, and maybe it isn't even the Japanese intention. But this is what I'm getting mm. from it. That's the lesson that I took away. Mm. And I thought it was
3: beautiful. Right. So, um, I'm sure our audience, listeners want to know more specifically. So, um, so you visit multiple eateries in Tokyo, including yes. uh, super high-end Michelin star restaurants yes. to casual ramen shops. So. Maybe you can share some, uh, like, top three most memorable or shocking experiences.
4: Yeah, so Narasawa is unforgettable, uh, a brilliant, brilliant, transportive meal. You Mm. see it in the show. Mm.
3: So it's uh, Narasawa, it's a chef by Chef uh, Yoshihiro Narasawa. Yes, uh, have you been? No, but I know the chef.
4: You do. (laughs) I think you have to go once in your life Mm. to experience this. The first dish comes out, it's the forest floor. It's Mm. on a cut tree bark, and everything is on the plate to emulate the forest. It's mm-hmm. all edible. There's even stream, and you hear mm-hmm. suddenly the sounds of a stream and birds, and I, I'm like, oh, that's, that's smart. They put, some, they put some sound chip in the plate, in the wood. Mm-hmm. No. It's a speaker, and they're transmitting a broadcast from the forest. You're listening to it live. I couldn't believe it. Mm. I've never experienced anything like this. So it's
3: uh, it, it, appealing to your five senses. That's right. Mm. That's right.
4: Appealing to all the senses. And it's all about nature, the mm. restaurant. So everything you're having has is either from the water, the sea, the air. It, you, you understand nature mm. when you eat there. It's very, very special. But the place that calls me back, that I want, I can't wait to have again, mm. Kikambo ramen. Ooh. <laughs> have you been there?
3: <laughs> no, I have not. Very, Luckily. <laughs>
4: very spicy.
3: I guess.
4: Now you can have you can have mild if you mm. want. I got, I think, the medium. It was very spicy for me. Mm. Right on the edge of too much. But my forehead was sweating you know my nose is running my eyes are tearing <laughs> my lips are burning but it was so delicious that i couldn't stop
3: wow
5: you know when
4: something is spicy it produces uh, endorphins in your brain the same like you get when uh, the what they call the runner's high or when you're in love or when you have chocolate oh, you know
5: wow i this didn't know that effect. spicy about- <laughs> food yes wow
4: uh if it's too hot then it's just painful but if it's just on the edge perfect like these geniuses have mastered mm. Then it becomes one of your favorite things.
3: Okay, so that sounds addictive.
4: It is addictive. In (laughs) fact, that's the one place that I want to go back to first.
3: Wow. Yes. Impressive. I thought you, on the screen, I thought you were suffering quite a bit. I (laughs) was.
4: But happy suffering.
3: Mm. Yeah,
4: not terrible. Okay. I was sweating and everything, but it was so delicious I had to keep going. I finished the whole thing.
3: (laughs) Wow. Okay, so I'll I'll go there. Next time, good. Kikambo. Good. So one more, more sure. One anything? Place. One more place where you are. You're gonna one go? more
4: place. Let's see. I'm trying to remember all the places I went in Tokyo. This is now a couple of years ago.
3: Uh, for instance, I think. Um, well,
4: Den would be the other one. Mm. That's a spectacular experience. Mm-hmm. I hope you you all watch that episode. Uh, I'll have what Phil's having is also on Netflix, so you can see it there too. Mm. It's the same show. Right. It's just had a different title because it started on PBS.
3: Mm. Okay. So, yeah, Dayu Hasegawa. He's he's like a team player. So the whole restaurant, I think, is like a theater. That's what I... It
4: is. Do you know when we said goodbye, and it was lovely, we walked down the street outside of the place as Mm -hmm. we were walking away from the restaurant. When we turned back, the entire staff of the restaurant, six or seven people were standing in the doorway of Den, still waving goodbye to us. Mm. It was the most charming thing I've ever seen. Right. They didn't even know if we would turn around again. Mm. They just were there waving, right. almost as a ritual. Well,
3: however, I yes. think this is pretty standard for Japanese traditional. Because one point is, I happened to go to uh, one of those classic restaurants, New York Virgin, last night. Yes. And then the whole team was waving for me when I left.
4: Which? What's the name of the restaurant? uh, The
3: new place is called uh, um, the Yamadachikara. It's uh, it's a really new place.
4: Okay, so so. I go to sushi bars all the time. I go to Japanese restaurants all the time in America, in Los Angeles especially,
3: Mm.
4: where the sushi is very, very good. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever waved goodbye to me Mm. there.
3: I think that actually the intention of the chef is to bring that culture to New York.
4: Great. Yes. Wouldn't it be sweet if everybody could do that? I understand why they can't. They're very busy. <laughs> but you feel very special. Mm. And look how years later I still remember this gesture. Right, It's lovely.
3: Mm. So it's a loyalty. Like you really want to be there whenever you get a chance. It's
4: to Tokyo. I haven't been all over Japan. In fact, that's the only place I've been to in Japan. Mm. But it's the most food-centric place I've ever been. Every other doorway mm. in Tokyo seems to be, have something to do with food.
3: Right. Like, we are food ob- obsessed.
4: Food obsessed. <laughs> and then you have the the crazy uh, pop culture uh, commercial variations mm. that we don't have. For instance, flavors of potato chips, mm-hmm. or Kit Kat bars in many, 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 many different flavors. <laughs> they become a cult obsession. Right. So the food itself is part of pop culture
3: Mm. the
4: way a new song would be on the radio right the different the new flavor is here
3: Mm. so i think in the japanese nature if if you say something you have to keep inventing new yes and perfect it
4: (laughs) i don't know it's something there it's i love a culture like this Mm. even if it's not mine but that's what makes the world beautiful, isn't it? That right. we have all these differences. No,
3: mm-hmm. oh, we share everything. That's yes. why this country invented a Californian roll. So I think that's it's, right. It's a part of Japanese culture now.
4: There was a very famous uh, sushi chef. He's still alive, but he stopped uh, working. Named Nozawa in Los Angeles. Did mm-hmm. you know him?
3: Right. The original. The original. Mm-hmm.
4: He refused to serve a California roll. He refused to serve a spicy tuna roll. These were not authentic Japanese creations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Californians, Los Angeles people, would insist on having them because that's what they were most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And he would say, I'm sorry, we don't do that. There's even a sign on the wall, no California roll, no spicy tuna. (laughs) And it said, instead of that, it said, today's special, trust me,
5: Mm,
4: which I did. Mm. because he taught me about sushi. He really taught me, because I was very interested. Mm. He could be very harsh. In fact, if you asked more than once for the California roll, he would say, get out.
3: Oh, no, you're prohibited. Get out. <laughs> oh, my God.
4: He would say, get out. If you ask somebody to move their chair so you could sit next to your mm. person, get out.
3: Oh, <laughs> maybe that's the key to preserve the tradition. So, stubbornly, like... Japanese well, culture. I think it's
4: all about personality, <laughs> his particular personality. Mm. But he is a genius, and he taught many many uh chefs mm. uh the right way to do sushi
3: right wow so now that's why there are so many expensive sushi restaurants that can survive in this economy in yes. whole people you, value, the value States. it
4: first of all it's healthy mm. and second of all it's delicious
3: right okay so um the other thing about your show uh, is that On each episode, you always seem to have rich cultural experience through local people. So did you have any interesting human encounter in Tokyo?
4: Always, yes. Mm. Uh, Our friend Yukari, Mm -hmm. she's half Japanese, half, is it Montana,
3: maybe? Something like that. Something like that. Mm.
4: And she lives with her Japanese husband who used to work at the fish market, yes. Mm And so I had a meal in their home, which was wonderful for me. And I saw all these kind of, you know, the Japanese apartments are small because space is limited. Mm. But the imagination it takes to make it a home, like here was a brilliant thing. Mm. The bathroom in their home, there is a sink, there is a spout over the tank, Mm -hmm. over the toilet. So you flush the toilet, and the water comes out of the spout for you to wash your hands mm-hmm. in that water, <laughs> which then goes into the tank to fill: right. For the next flush. Genius, I thought. You don't Why need don't sink. we do that? Right. <laughs> Why don't we do that? That's brilliant.
3: Well, yeah, here in America, you have a space to create, build the sink. Yes. And in Japan, we don't, so...
4: <laughs> well, for just for that purpose. Mm. It saves water. It saves space. Right. It's very smart.
3: Mm. Yeah, eco-friendly.
4: Yeah, yeah. E- economically.
3: Mm. Well... That's interesting. You notice that kind of thing. That's, that's of course so I notice
4: because you, you, we see whenever you see something that's brilliant that you don't have at home, you mm. notice and you remember.
3: I took it for granted. That's, you you know, did? Yeah. For, yeah. Like, when I grew up, like, oh, there's no water yes. coming out of the toilet. But that,
4: isn't that smart? Shouldn't everybody do that? That's, what, that's the first thing, I think. <laughs> Listen, when I was in Paris, I saw that not only do they have the bike rentals, they have electric car rentals mm. where you pick them up and drop them off on the street, the electric car, and you plug it in. Instead of just parking it in the mm. in the space for the next person, you plug it in and then it gets charged. And then look at all the good that does. Mm. Why don't we have this?
3: Right. So through traveling, not just food, you can just steal all those good things and the share in your own culture.
4: You can't just eat all the time. Right. <laughs> you have to do something in between meals anyway. Mm-hmm. So you may as well look around.
3: Right. So um, and you had. Um, Lot of <coughs> footages, I'm sure. Like, you know, when you travel, for instance, Tokyo, <coughs> I mean, I, I don't know, the show was only one hour. So, yes. you have so many footages. Oh, you're yeah, right. 10 but days then, of filming.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah. So,
3: is there anything I cannot see on the screen, but you want to share?
4: I'm trying to think. Most of the things are fine, ordinary, maybe a few things that I'm not so crazy about. So I don't include them mm. because I want to show you the best because right. I want you to travel. Mm. So people sometimes say, Phil, it looks like you love everything. Well, I do love everything that I'm showing you. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't show it to you.
3: Right. That's true. That so makes you sense. see
4: me excited because these were the things I was most excited about. Mm. People forget that there's editing.
3: Right.
4: That, that we put the show together from 10 days of footage. Mm. You're seeing our favorite moments.
3: Right. So hopefully you didn't suffer too much that (laughs) day. I did
4: not. I did not. I could could do three or four episodes just on Tokyo. Mm. And then I'm dying to go to Kyoto.
3: Right. I was going to suggest. That looks
4: very beautiful. Mm. So, you know, if we're lucky enough to get to do more episodes, that's definitely a stop.
3: Mm. There's
4: a lot of places in Asia to go.
3: Right. Yeah. They have like 195 countries in the world. Wow. (laughs) Got to get to them. Right. And uh, at the end of the Tokyo episode, you say, I've gone from, I didn't get it, to, I'm starting to get it. (laughs) So, why do you mean by that?
4: Exactly what I said at the beginning, where I was afraid at the beginning. Look at this, look at how crazy and chaotic it is.
3: Mm, Like Shibuya crossing.
4: Exactly. I didn't understand it. Why would you want to live in such a place? Mm. And then I understood everything the place had to offer. Mm. And we shouldn't be so quick to judge.
5: Right? Right. Right.
4: The beauty and care that people take in what they can control in their lives Mm. is reason alone to go.
3: Right. That's true. Because
4: you take that with you, Mm.
3: that lesson. Right. So you may want to keep going back to Tokyo itself because. Yes,
4: I could go back every year and be very happy.
3: Right. Because one thing I noticed at the Shibuya crossing, it's chaotic, but. There's a...
4: There's an order. Yeah. Yes, that's right.
3: Right. So I don't know exactly how the mental magic works in all those people.
4: Of the crossing? Yeah. I know how. They follow the signs.
3: <laughs> that is true. Right? Yeah. There's no jaywalk in Japan, by There the is way.
4: no jaywalk. I think if you jaywalk, you're dead. Yeah. Because n- the people are following the signs. Mm. Cross now. Right. Stop now. <laughs> you have five more seconds before the cars are coming.
3: Right. And also, you get uh, the whole you know eyes of despise that's right <laughs> so that stopped me from doing it <laughs> in japan yeah all right so uh, now <clears throat> we take a quick break here and when we come back we'll talk about the uh, the newest season of somebody feel uh which came out just last week on uh, friday so please stay with us <laughs>
1: Korin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Korin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. moxie rosenbloom my dad harry rosenbloom hosts feast your ears on heritage radio network right now hrn is having a summer membership drive becoming a member is so easy and you'll help support shows like my dad's you can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org donate let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer
3: Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Japanese Broadcasting Live from a studio in Bruchwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Kadema, and my guest today is Phil Rosenthal, who is the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, and now the creator of the two fantastic food trouble shows called I'll Have What Phil's Having and Somebody Feel Phil. Um, so let's talk about Somebody Feel, Phil, uh, which came after I'll Have What Phil's Having. And um, so the I'll Have What Phil's having and uh, somebody feels they are basically the same yes okay so
4: i'll have what phil's having was made for pbs a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and then netflix came along and picked Mm. up the show and changed the name Mm. but it's the same show
3: right okay uh so the first season of uh, somebody phil came out in uh, january 2018 with six episodes which i quickly finished watching Mm -hmm. and uh, you went to um bangkok saigon tel aviv lisbon new orleans mexico city And second season, Um, it just came out last Friday. Friday. So where are we going?
4: Copenhagen, Mm -hmm. Dublin, Buenos Aires, Mm. Venice, Cape Town, and New York. New York. Yes.
3: So, uh, by the way, how do you select all those destinations? Oh, uh,
4: if I'm trying to get Americans to travel, Mm. I'm starting with what I think of as Earth's greatest hits. The the most popular place on earth, and for Americans, the most accessible Mm. places where most people speak English. You'll have a hotel. There'll be a bed. There'll be a pillow. (laughs) There'll be food that you at least recognize. Mm. If you live in a city, right. Uh, Two thirds of Americans don't have a passport.
3: Wow, that many.
4: That many, and that's including everyone who came to America with a passport. Mm. And only ten percent of those people use their passport. So, I think that the world would be better Mm. if everyone traveled a little and experienced other people's experiences.
3: Mm, And find different toilet system. That's right.
4: (laughs) And different ways to live life and different ways to appreciate life. Mm. I'm not saying that if you go to Japan, you should come back and start acting the way they do in Japan. But you might get a little insight into a different way of thinking
3: Mm. that might
4: enrich your life that you can apply to your life
3: right so out of uh the season uh two which actually uh the the second course the first uh, (laughs) season was called the first course so the the second course what kind of uh, like cultural um discovery did you have
5: wow
4: well so many every place you make a cultural discovery Mm. right even if it's just uh look how similar it is to ours
5: Mm. um
4: but, you know, when you go to Europe, let's say, they take a time out of the day. Like from 2 to 4 mm. o'clock, you can't go shopping. Mm. They shut down. Right. At first I thought, when my first trips in the 1980s, when I first went, I'm like, this is crazy. Mm. Why would they shut down? And then a day or two later, I start to understand, oh, they want to enjoy the day. We don't even understand this concept in America mm. of, of taking prime time out of the day to enjoy the day, and mm. then they stay open a little bit later.
3: It's a life priority.
4: Exactly right. Mm. So shouldn't we all make life a priority?
5: <laughs>
3: right. You know,
4: it's like in, in New York. One of the most beautiful things in New York is Central Park, mm. and I make a big deal about it in the show here is some of the most expensive real estate on the planet Mm. that's been left alone as free space Mm. for the people to enjoy life, a life priority. Mm. We're going to take this. They could make a fortune just taking a tiny chunk out of it Mm. and selling it. Nope, you cannot touch it. This is for the people, Mm. rich or poor any color, any place, anywhere, you can come mm. and enjoy Central Park for free.
3: Mm. But can you imagine how much creativity or rest or energy that park can create for human beings that spend time? Can you in the imagine park?
4: how much has already been created in the world mm. from people sitting in Central Park?
3: Mm. Right. Right?
4: So it's one of my favorite places mm. in the world. And it's because it embodies this spirit
5: mm.
4: of taking that time
5: mm.
4: and space right. and devoting it to the enjoyment of life. Mm-hmm. Because imagine New York without it, unrelenting grid of city.
3: Mm, that is true. Right? Mm. And it's a like you said, it's a point, it's in the middle of the, the city. The middle, mm. the
4: most... Prime real estate, maybe in the world, mm. is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful park.
3: Mm. Right. That reminds me about you we went to you went to Paris and uh, you spent time at the Café Mago. Yes, and it's not just a cafe drinking coffee no. or pastries. It's no. about how you spend your time. Yes, in your life.
4: The the tables. And the seats face outward Mm. onto the street and the sidewalk and you see life going by. Mm. And there's nothing nicer than sitting with your coffee or your hot chocolate (laughs) and your pastry and just sitting on a beautiful day and watching Paris.
5: Mm. (laughs) That's
4: pretty good activity, Mm. right? So we have that in America, too. We have it in Japan. We have it everywhere. Mm. This seems to be a universal luxury to sit and watch the world.
3: Mm. I think uh, we need more though in this yes. country. Why not? Right. and also the habit or the, you know, it's the custom of spending some time. It's okay. You don't have to rush to Starbucks and it's pretending you're working on the computer. But you can just stop, shut up, shut, you know, shut the computer, just to have some nice cup of tea or coffee.
4: Did you see the Hong Kong episode of uh, of I'll Have What Phils Having? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the section where I went to the tea house in the park Mm -hmm. and I sat with the master, the Mm -hmm. tea master? And he explained that a few times a day, there's this tea ritual where that that he goes through the process of making the tea and pouring it this exact way and letting it sit and letting and sipping the first taste quickly and then letting it rest and then sipping. He says all of this is kind of a waste of time, Mm. but it's important. Every day to waste some time. Mm,
3: that's called the meditation, maybe. Yes, <laughs>
4: it is kind of a meditation mm. where you're focused on this task, this beautiful task, and you're completely immersed in it, and you're not looking at your phone.
3: Mm, hey, <laughs> right. you can't do that with exactly the, you're spending time with tea. Exactly, right. and
4: then all the nutritive properties of tea
3: mm. and
4: how beneficial it is for us. This is, this is just a widely known fact now, mm. how good tea is for
5: you.
3: Right. Interesting. I think in this country, um, you know, it's like having a good coffee is good, but there's always information online. Drinking too much coffee is bad. Like a yeah. glass of wine, but yeah. wine is bad. Or something <laughs> like, it's always something negative associated with any beverage or any food in this country. It's too much because everybody's too health conscious. Yes. Uh, because we are doing so much... Um, Unhealthy things. Yes. too much work. Yes.
4: I've so. never heard a bad word about tea.
3: Oh, okay. Never. Mm. Have you? Nope, actually not.
4: In fact, I love coffee. I'm drinking coffee right now uh, because it wakes you up. Mm. But it wakes you up quickly and then it crashes you. Mm. Tea is a slow build. Right. It just keeps you nice level. Mm. It's a slow release caffeine. Right. So it keeps you... Maybe not as powerfully awake as coffee does right away, mm. but slowly and steadily.
3: Right. I think that's the, the chemical called the theanine. Yes. It got, works with the caffeine, so it's like uh, controlling each other. Yes. And uh, it takes, like, instead of, like, two hours, it takes, like, four hours, six yes. hours. Yeah. And,
4: and uh, he told me, this tea master, mm. that the polyphenols in tea are the most beneficial part. And you mm. know what destroys the polyphenols? If you put milk in your tea.
3: Oh, I don't didn't know put that. milk
4: in your tea, he told me.
3: <laughs> wow. Did you know that? No, I didn't know.
4: I didn't either until he told me.
3: Wow. Yes.
4: So. It kills all the nutritive properties of tea.
3: Mm. So British people.
4: Very interesting, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how British people maybe they do shouldn't
4: it. be so quick to colonize places. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's another topic we should discuss. <laughs> 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 um okay, so um yeah, one thing I really enjoy um, about your show is that you connect people um, watching and the local people on the show. Yeah. Like like <clears> when <throat> you went to Tel Aviv, I was like, to be honest, I had no interest to visit the city. But then once I started watching, it's like, oh no, when should I go? What's the best month to be there? It's like, that kind of thing. I so, love that. But how, what's, your, what's your purpose to do the show ultimately? To, to me... You are doing something far beyond showing food on the plates.
4: Then you've answered the question. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing. Mm. I, it's a show about human connection.
3: Mm.
4: It's disguised as a food and travel show. Mm-hmm. I do. I think I want the purpose of the show is to get you to travel.
5: Mm.
4: Not only will it make the world better, not only does the world need you to travel, mm. meaning a nice person to go, and represent us. Mm. Not only is that very, very necessary, but because of selfishly what it will do for you. Because when you travel, your mind will be expanded. You can't help it. Mm. And it's something that once your mind is expanded, it stays expanded.
5: Mm. You will now
4: return home with this new insight into life. And you can't buy that. Mm. You, it's not a car you can buy, it's not a big TV you can buy. It's not a toy you can buy. Mm. It's not jewelry you can buy. It's You've invested in your mind. Mm. And your mind is going to stay with you for a while.
3: (laughs) And especially when you do it with people, you think of the country, but you think of more person you spoke to.
4: To me, this is the main thing, Mm. connecting with the people. The food is just the connection that we make. And I believe that we connect over food. Mm. And then for me, from where I'm from, and for what I do... Laughs are then the cement Mm. to the people. Because if you and I eat together, hopefully we at least are not hurting each other. (laughs) We're we're eating. We have to eat. And Mm. we all know what that is. It's universal. Mm -hmm. We all have to eat. And most people, you know, eat with someone else.
5: Mm.
4: At least one meal a day.
5: Right.
4: Okay. But then if we share a laugh, Mm
5: -hmm. some
4: humor of any kind, not saying... I'm um, as funny as you or you're as funny as me, but we appreciate each other's sense of humor. Mm. Now we are friends. Right. That's everything. Mm. And I say to Americans, instead of a wall, how about a table?
3: Mm. That is so true. Because you naturally become happier over good food. Yes, you do. Right. yeah. And uh, the laughter, I think, sharing laughter has to be something very connecting because... If you are separate, you can share the same kind of um, jokes yes. or humor. So. Yes.
4: But even I'm meeting people who don't speak English and I don't speak their language. But somehow we find a way to smile or laugh together. Right. You can do it. It's mm. very easy.
3: Hey, right. So um, are you planning to do more shows after... Second uh, second course. You're gonna I do. am
4: planning. Yes, I have to see if Netflix wants me to do somewhere.
3: Mm, I hope so. Maybe I should call up the Netflix and. Please. I think
4: everyone listening should call Netflix. Yeah. Don't <laughs> tell them I told you to do that. But you yes.
3: Okay, it's a secret. So okay. Well, <laughs> right, and uh, hopefully you're gonna do the Kyoto episode.
4: I can't wait. Maybe you have to meet me there and mm. show me around. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm in. It's a date.
3: <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> okay. So, where can we find your update? online like all those social oh,
4: very good okay so i'm on twitter phil rosenthal mm-hmm. phil instagram mm-hmm. official phil rosenthal on facebook and now today we are announcing a website mm. that has everywhere we went on the shows oh my god so it's all the restaurants all the locations the addresses How to make a reservation. It's all there. Plus, deleted scenes from the show and other things that I'm working on. It's called philrosenthalworld.com. Wow. philrosenthalworld.com. So, people are writing to me. What was the name of that place? What did you (laughs) order there? Now, I can point them to somewhere. You
3: can save a lot of time by doing it. (laughs) philrosenthalworld.com. Right. Okay, I'll bookmark it. (laughs) So, all right. So, thank you for joining us today, Phil.
4: Oh, I loved it. Everybody loves Phil. Oh, sweet. I love meeting you.
3: (laughs) Thank you. And uh, please continue traveling and eating for all of us. Okay. All right, so listeners, um, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at Needs at the heritage radio or kikokatema.com. And Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritage radio Network.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And an in- our engineer is David Tatashore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.